0: Tonight, as we look at this really beautiful and really simple story, just four short verses, we're going to look at this really simple truth of what it means to live on mission with Jesus. But I want you to see this for a second. Just because it's a simple truth does not negate the fact that our lives are very complex. And sometimes when simple truths collide with complex lives, it's very difficult to know what to do with them and mark is going to just kind of put this picture before us in mark chapter one of what it looks like to follow jesus into the midst of a really messy world and the the truth is simple but our world is complex and so one of the things i've been praying is that god by the power of his holy spirit would just help us navigate Um, those tensions tonight as we look at this story. So if you take notes, uh, if you have a piece of paper or a phone or something, I'd encourage you to write down this question or this idea because it will frame our conversation together in Mark chapter 1 tonight. And this is the question. It's a simple question with a lot of kind of complex realities to it. And here it is. In a world full of unlimited needs, how do we best use our limited lives to honor Jesus? In a world full of unlimited needs, how do we best use our very limited lives to honor Jesus? And so you think about this at every turn. You you see this on the news. You see this in your families, in your neighborhoods, in the context of our cities. Isn't it overwhelming at times when you see just kind of the scope and the breadth of the, the need within our own city? Like the, the needs of the world, the needs of families, the needs of even entire country. Sometimes you look at the scope of just how unlimited the needs of this world are, and it can be absolutely crippling. And then as followers of Jesus, we kind of jump into the midst of it and we go, man, what are we going to do with this? How are we going to serve? How are are we going to bless this world full of unlimited needs? And one of the things that I've kind of discovered over the years is sometimes the more I throw myself into the mix of all these unlimited needs, I come face to face with just how limited my life is. My resources, my time, my expertise, my faith, my energy, whatever it might be. I remember it was about six years ago, my wife, Sydney, and I started wrestling with this tension for the very first time. For the first time, we started seeing kind of the the scope of some of the needs within our own city. And for the first time, we were realizing just how limited our lives were. And so we we started Ethos six years ago, and when we started this church, I was 26 years old, and probably the oldest guy in our church, which is never good news when the oldest person in your church is 26 years old, but that's just kind of the way that it was, and we, we started this church. I'll never forget the first night we were meeting downstairs in the cannery. There were like 50 of us. And we were in the corner of the room, and I remember there was just kind of this like youthful like angst and energy and joy and faith. And part of it was because we were young, and part of it was because we were naive, and part of it was because of the faith that God was beginning to build in us. But I remember there was this like moment, kind of as we were beginning this church, going, man, God can do absolutely anything in us and through us. And so that very first night, we are getting ready to have our first little worship gathering, and my wife and I thought, maybe we should just walk across the street. And just walk through the alleys and walk around here and just see if there's anyone living on the streets that would be interested in coming and helping us start this church. And so we walked down Cannery Row and we took a ride on 8th Avenue and we walked about a block and there was this alley that was just full of people. I remember walking down that alley and we began talking to some of the men and women that had been living there, some of them for years. And two of the first people that we met in that alley were these two men that had been living there for 10 years. They'd survived in that alley by selling drugs and tricks just to survive, and this was kind of their story. And God just kind of put it on our heart, hey, ask them if they want to come help you start a church. As I remember walking up to them, and it was just kind of intimidating and scary, and we said, hey, we have this crazy idea. We're getting ready to start a church in the bar across the street. Will you all come help us start this church? And I had no idea what they were going to say, but I'll never forget the looks on their faces. They said, we are in. Like, we will we will help you start this church. I thought, yes. Like, this is, this is what it means to be the church that, you know, drug dealers are now on our launch team. They're going to come help us plant the church. I go, man, this is what Jesus made us for. And I remember we we're like walking up cannery row and these like, guys are with us. And Sydney and I have no idea what we've just gotten ourselves into, but we just had this sense that church was more than a place where we sing songs and hear sermons. It's a place where the fullness of God's kingdom is breaking in, even to the darkest places of our society. And yet it was in that evening we began to discover that life on mission with Jesus, although it is beautiful and bold and glorious and grand, it is also very messy. And that evening began a friendship that would last the next few years until one of those men would pass away and the other one would move away. And what we discovered in our journey with Jesus and our journey with them is so often when we step into this world full of unlimited need with our very limited lives, it feels like one step forward and ten steps back. For every one person we could help, there was a thousand people that we couldn't even meet. And I remember one night in particular, our church had been around for about a year and a half, and Sydney and I had been just exhausting ourselves, kind of working in the midst of the messiness of this city, going, God, would you use us to, to bless these men and women? Would you use us to serve this city? And I remember getting this phone call from one of those men that we had met in that alley, and he'd just been put in jail for the third time in as many months. And there's this kind of this sense as we were sitting before the Lord, like, God, are we making any difference? Is anything, we, or is anything that we're doing, does it matter? Is it actually working? And I'll never forget sitting around the kitchen table, praying and talking with my wife in the midst of that struggle. The Lord spoke into our hearts that evening. It wasn't an audible voice and it wasn't an audible word, but it was just as clear as if God had spoken out loud. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, Dave, your supply will never be able to meet their demand. Your supply, your energy, your expertise, your faith, your resources, your time, your energy, your supply will never be able to meet their demand. And then came the second part of the revelation. But I never intended for it to. I remember that evening, God was saying, man, your supply can't meet their demand, but I never intended for your supply to meet their demand. And it's as if Jesus was inviting us into something deeper. And so for the next year or two, uh, my wife and I, we kind of found ourselves on this journey as we were trying to figure out how to serve and love people in our city that were in very different places of life than we were. And for about a year, it felt like we were on this pendulum that would go back and forth. We'd see these like, unbelievable needs unfolding around us, and we would do what so many of you have done. We'd roll up our sleeves a little higher, we'd jump in a little deeper, we'd pray harder, we'd serve harder, we'd work harder, we'd love harder. And what we began to discover is no matter how good our intentions were, our supply still would never meet their demand. And in a world full of unlimited need, our very limited lives were running on empty. And the harder we tried, we just kind of found ourselves just burned out and exhausted. And the pendulum would swing to one side. And every moment we would get exhausted and overwhelmed by the needs around us, then the pendulum would swing all the way to the other side. And maybe some of you have done this before. Instead of trying too hard, all of a sudden you start withdrawing too far. And we found ourselves going to the other kind of side of the spectrum going, man, let's just create some boundaries, let's create some space. And we called it being healthy. But what we were really doing is we were becoming Pharisees and hypocrites because every week Sydney and I were gathering here and we were reading stories about a God who is powerful and present but we were living our lives as though he wasn't. And we'd sing songs as if God was a God who was, forgetting that he is a God who is. And there's this tendency when we begin to believe in this world full of unlimited need that our very limited lives can actually supply what they demand this thing begins to happen where we either try too hard and we burn out or we withdraw too far and we become hard-hearted and pharisaical. And in the midst of that season, Jesus kept saying, there is another way to live on mission and that way is my way. And I love this because Mark chapter one is not just a cute historical story about Jesus and his followers. Mark chapter one is an invitation For you and I right now in this place in our life to learn how not only to do what Jesus did but to still learn what Jesus is doing and the way that Jesus is doing it. And it is an extremely important story for any of us that have real interest in following Jesus into the messiness of this world in a way that is sustainable. I think one of my fears sometimes I look around our church and we're so young and it's a beautiful thing. We're a young church. And sometimes what happens in young churches is we rely on our youthful energy, and our passion, and our zeal. And what happens is we run face first into the needs of the world, never accounting for the reality that our supply, no matter how young and energetic we are, our supply cannot meet their demand. And Jesus stands before this group of disciples and says, there's another way. And I wanna teach you how to do this in a way that's sustainable. And so Mark chapter 1 is this beautiful picture of mission. I want you to open up your Bibles with me. We're going to start in verse 35, and we're going to uh, look at verses 35 through 39, and there's two things that Mark is going to show us. He's going to give us a picture of what it means to live on mission with Jesus, what it feels like to live on mission with Jesus. And so we're going to first see a picture in Mark chapter 1, and then he's going to give us a principle for how we really start living with Jesus in such a way that the mission of Jesus becomes sustainable. So Mark chapter 1, verse 35, is where we're going to begin. I love the way that it starts. It says, very early in the the next morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and he left the house and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And Simon and his companions went looking for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Jesus, everybody is looking for you. Now, verse 38 is one of the weirdest verses in the Bible because not only does it feel very unexpected, it feels very un-Jesus-like. I want us to wrestle with this for a moment, verse 38. But Jesus replied, I know there's a need, but let's go somewhere else. To the nearby villages so I can preach there also, this is why I have come. And so Jesus traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, driving out demons. This is the word of God out of Mark chapter 1. Now I want you to just kind of picture this story for a moment. If you were with us last week, we saw Jesus and his disciples. It was their first day of ministry together. Jesus is 30 years old. He's been baptized. He's been filled with the Holy Spirit. He's called these four fishermen to come follow him. He said, rearrange the entirety of your life to be about the mission of God And last week we looked at their first day of ministry together. And it's this unbelievable day of ministry. Jesus shows up in a church service in the synagogue and he cast out a demon. Just imagine how epic that'd be tonight if one of you, I mean, it'd be scary, but imagine how epic it would be if one of you stood up and you had a demon in you and Stoney cast the demon out. We're like, wow. Word got out to the crowd that Jesus had cast out the demon. And all of a sudden the whole city begins to show up at one of the disciples' houses. And it says that throughout the night, Jesus was healing the sick and he was casting out demons. And don't you know the disciples, when their heads hit the pillow that night, they were like, wow, what a great move to leave the fishing business and be a part of what this guy was doing. A Billy Graham crusade had nothing on what was starting there in this little fishing village in Capernaum. And yet I love this because Jesus knew that a life of mission was about more than a moment. It was about more than an experience or an event or an experiment. It was about a way of life. And Jesus is getting ready to show these disciples, here's how you keep following Jesus into the messiness of life, where you will consistently be learning how to navigate a world full of unlimited need with your very limited lives. And so he paints this picture, you can look back at verse 35, it says that when it was very early the next morning, while it was still dark out. All the disciples are sleeping. Peter and Andrew, James and John, their wives, their kiddos are all crammed in this house like one big messy slumber party. And you imagine Jesus early in the morning, he puts on his hoodie and his Under Armour sweatpants and he's walking through the house trying not to wake anybody up. Because he knows that in the midst of everything they're getting ready to encounter in the day, there's nothing more significant than hearing the voice of his father again. It says that Jesus goes out to pray and the disciples are still asleep and they wake up maybe around 10 or 10.30 or 11. Who knows how late it is. They don't wake up by an alarm clock, but they wake up because the whole city is knocking on the door again. Peter opens the door and he sees that the whole town is there. They're looking for Jesus. And you can imagine the panic that sets in when they realize Jesus isn't there. And it says in verse 36, the disciples go looking for Jesus and they find him and they say, good Oh, good news, here you are. The whole city's looking for you, Jesus. Like, we, we, we've got a plan. Come with us. Come back. They're, they're, they're lined up. Sick people, demon-possessed people. I mean, this is going to be great PR. Jesus, come back. And what does Jesus do in the face of great need? What's he do? He leaves. And I think this is one of the most realistic pictures of discipleship that we're giving in all, given in all of the Gospels. The discipleship is more than just events. It's more than moments of great power. Real discipleship is discovered when you and I are learning how to follow Jesus, even when following Jesus makes no sense. And I want you to see this picture that Mark gives us here in chapter 1. Just kind of three things that I want you to notice about this picture. And the first is this, is that when we're walking closely with Jesus, our lives will always be overrun by people whose lives are in great need. When we're walking closely with Jesus, our lives will always be overrun by people's lives who are in great need. I want you to think about this for a moment. What the disciples experience their first two days with Jesus is going to become the new normal for the rest of their lives. Every house party, every dinner group, every conversation, every walk along the seashore, every moment, all of a sudden their lives are going to be overrun, overwhelmed by people whose lives are full of great need. Because here's the reality. Just think about this for a moment. When you and I are walking with Jesus, when we are friends with Jesus, it's not just that we are friends with Jesus. It means we also get to be friends with Jesus' friends. And Jesus' friends were very rarely the types of people that you would pick for your kickball team. Jesus' friends were rarely the types of people that you would invite to be your bridesmaids and your groomsmen. Jesus' friends were very rarely the people you'd want at your Super Bowl party. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was a magnet for the addicted, for the heartbroken, for the hopeless, for the soul sick, for the sin soaked. Jesus was this magnet for the down and out. Jesus was this magnet for the doubters, for the frustrated, for the faithless, for the fearful. And everywhere Jesus went, he attracted the types of people that never felt comfortable in places like this. And one of the great struggles for the religious people of Jesus' day and for the religious people of our day is most of us struggle to be friends with Jesus' friends because we're still not friends with Jesus. And this thing begins to happen in the lives of the disciples. As they walk closely with Jesus, their lives are being overrun by people with great need. I think this is one of the great, greatest litmus tests for where you actually are with Jesus. If you don't have anyone in your life whose life is falling apart, you're probably not as close to Jesus as you think you are. Because there's this thing when we walk with Jesus, our life is overrun by people in need. I remember a few years ago, I was staying up late one night uh, watching TV. Nothing was on, so I was just flipping, you know, kind of doing that thing you do to kill time, and I made a huge mistake. I ended up on a TV preacher. Never recommend it, but it's late at night. I'm watching a TV preacher, and this guy was kind of giving a self-help talk descri- uh, disguised as a sermon, and uh, sometimes, I don't know if you ever get angry with TV preaching. Man, sometimes I do. Uh, just don't watch it, and you don't have to get angry at it, but I'm, I'm, I'm watching this sermon, and I'll never forget the, the, the whole The whole gist of this sermon was, here are five ways to avoid needy people. And he kept calling them life leeches. And he was talking about all the ways you create barriers in your life to to maintain healthy friendships so you attract healthy people. And I'm sitting there, I'm like yelling at the TV and Sydney's like, what's wrong? I'm like, oh, this, she's like, turn the channel. I'm like, no, you know, I'm I'm like watching this sermon. like, do you know how you avoid people in need? Avoid Jesus. If you don't want to be around people in need, don't walk with Jesus. But to be with Jesus is to bring in all the people that Jesus brings in. And I go, to be a disciple, to be a follower of Christ is more than songs and sermons. It's saying, Jesus, not only will we be friends with you, we will be friends with everyone that you draw in. And this is a thing that the disciples are beginning to discover in this picture Mark chapter 1 is that when you walk with Jesus, your life is overrun, their house is overrun, their time is overrun, and yet the disciples do something beautiful here. It's one of the only times the disciples get it right in the entire Gospels. I love this. Look back at verse 36. There's this moment where their life is overrun by the people in need, and what do they do? They take the need to Jesus. The disciples realize, hey, our supply cannot meet their demand. Peter is under no illusion that he can preach a sermon that can fix them. Jesus, Peter's under no illusion that he can cast out the demons, that he can heal the sick. He goes, here are people in need. Here is Jesus. And Peter stands up and says, let me play the divine matchmaker. Jesus, here's the people in need. Here you are. Can we bring them together? And I've been wrestling with that this week. I mean, it's what we have with Lila. You know, one of these moments where I go, man, we're powerless. We can't heal Lila. We can't fix their family. We need Jesus to do this. And this is one of the things that the disciples are understanding as they're walking with Jesus is that as your life is overrun by people with great need, there is only one person and one place to whom you can take them. And the disciples bring the need to Jesus. And this is where the story gets complex. And Jesus sees the need and he leaves. Have you ever had one of these moments where Jesus responded or did not respond to a prayer in the way that you thought he would? Have you ever had your eyes open to the needs of the world, like gone on a mission trip and and seen pain and heartache in ways that you never imagined? Have you ever had one of these times where for the first time your heart is kind of opened to the bigness of a need and you pray your guts out? And it seems like Jesus says, no, let's go somewhere else. If you haven't had that happen yet, it's going to happen a lot. Because it's part of following Jesus. And one of the things that the disciples are having to discover here in Mark chapter 1 is they're having to decide whether or not they will trust Jesus when Jesus' ways seem to oppose their will. At the heart of following Jesus is you and I deciding whether or not we will trust Jesus' ways when his ways seem to oppose our will. Uh, The reality is if you only follow Jesus, when his ways line up with your will, you're not actually following Jesus, you're following yourself. And there's this moment where the disciples are having to go, okay, Jesus, is your perspective better, is it bigger? And they decide, yes, it is. As we keep reading through the Gospel of Mark, this is important, I want you to hear this in case you don't come back uh, ever again and you don't hear the rest of the story. As you keep going through the gospel of Mark, Jesus is not done with the people of Capernaum. He's going to keep coming back. He's going to keep healing. He's going to keep preaching. He's going to keep serving them. But Jesus understood in this moment that his time on earth was very limited and that the needs of the world were unlimited. And Jesus is showing the disciples, here's how you walk in that tension. In his perspective, he understood that what God had for him in the moment was even more pressing than what seemed so important to the disciples. And they had to decide, Jesus, can we trust you when it seems like you're not meeting the really obvious need? And to live on mission with Jesus, this is is important. It is you and I understanding that constantly we are jumping in to the wild adventure of life with God. We're jumping into the deep waters, We're jumping into a world that is full of unlimited needs and we will constantly be confronted with the limited reality of our own lives. I remember when I was a kid, every summer for our vacation, our family would go to the beach. We loved going to the beach. And I remember some of my best memories before I was old enough to even swim My dad would go out in the water in front of me, and he'd hold on to me, he'd pull my hands, and he'd run me through the waves, and he'd run me into the deeper waters, and some of my best memories as a kid were out in the ocean with my father. And I remember the joy and the sense of confidence that came in those years of my life as I'd be out in the water. It wasn't because I was a good swimmer, and it wasn't because I had this kind of youthful hope that maybe I would hit a sudden growth spurt so my feet would touch the ground. The reason I was confident in the midst of water and the waves that were above my head was for one reason and one reason alone, and that's because my father was with me. At the heart of discipleship, at the heart of following Jesus, is us understanding that life with Jesus is the constant invitation into waters that are in over our heads. That Jesus is going to take us to places. He's going to take us to people who by their very nature, our supply will never be able to meet their demand. And Jesus is saying it was never intended to. And as his followers, he's trying to teach us, how do we live in these rhythms in such a way that we start relying on God's supply to meet their demand? And so in Mark chapter 1, you get this picture of what following Jesus looks like and feels like. But we get more than a picture. We also get a principle of how we begin living into this way of life in a way that is sustainable. And I don't know if you memorize Scripture. I don't know if you underline in your Bibles. But maybe one of the most important passages in this entire gospel of Mark is verse 35. Look back at Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Mark here is gonna give us a picture into Jesus's life, this principle that guided who Jesus was in every facet. It says, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed to his father. I go. this is the defining reality of Jesus's life, is that here he was, fully God and fully man, And Jesus knew that the only way he could navigate the complexity of a life full of unlimited need with the very limited reality of his time and his energy was by bringing every day, every moment, every person, every situation into the presence of the Father. And I go, if Jesus needed the Father to weigh in on every moment so that Jesus would not waste his days... Is it possible that we need the Father to weigh in on our lives as well? One of my favorite passages of Scripture is Job chapter 33, verse 14. I'd encourage you to to write that down and go look at that this week. Job 33, verse 14. It says, God the Father is always speaking, but human beings are very rarely perceiving. God is always speaking, but human beings are very rarely perceiving. And Job 33 goes on to talk about all the ways that God is speaking and all the ways that we're ignoring it. I want you to notice this. In Mark chapter 1, here's the principle that you see in Jesus' life. He is consistently escaping the noise so he can hear the voice. Jesus escapes the noise of the crowds. He escapes the distractions of everybody's demands. Jesus is escaping the noise so that he can hear the voice of the Father again because he understands that it's when he hears the voice of the Father that he will have a clear vision of how he should use his day. And in the midst of a world full of unlimited needs, Jesus is giving the disciples a fresh understanding of how they use their limited lives in a way that honors God and is absolutely sustainable. I was thinking about this earlier this year, uh, first week of January. I took my two oldest sons, Micah, who is four, Jack, who is two, took them over to the Bridgestone Arena to Monster Jam, which is this monster truck rally. How many of you have ever been to a monster truck race? I'm just curious. Raise your, hand. be proud. Yeah, <laughs> it's the most gloriously redneck thing I've ever done, and I'm, and I'm not embarrassed by it. But I, I took them to a monster truck rally and it was also the loudest thing that I've ever been at in my life, and so I bought them these noise-canceling construction headphones, you know, and put them on their ears, and my ears were still hurting through the headphones. I probably ruined my kids' hearing forever, but it was worth it, you know, for the fun that we had, and we're sitting there in the midst of this arena, and all of these rednecks are drunk. They're just crushing beers and cheering for trucks and mud, and They're yelling and the the trucks are loud and the headphones are on. It's just kind of this crazy scene. And my boys had no comprehension of my inability to hear them in the midst of the noise. And so they would look at me and they'd tap me on the shoulder and they'd just start talking and it just lips moving. I couldn't hear a single word coming out of their mouths. And so we did this like 10 or 12 times over the course of the evening. One of them would tap me on the shoulder, they'd start talking. I'd get frustrated I'd pick both of them up and I'd do the thing where I'm scooting down the aisle trying to not kick over beers and <laughs> drinks and I'd scoot past people and we'd get out into the kind of the lobby of the arena where we're away from the noise and we take off the headphones and I'd say, okay, now talk to me. And one of the things that I was discovering that night is although they were speaking, the noise of everything around me kept me from hearing. And I'm convinced that this is the primary challenge for most of us in our discipleship journeys with Jesus. It's not whether or not he's talking, it's whether or not we're willing to escape the noise so we can hear the voice. And the real struggle for most of us is not choosing between good things and bad things, it's choosing between good things and God things. And for most of us, the noise of our lives, the distractions of our lives hit us with such force every morning. The alarm clock gets you up, the kids get you up, you get to work. The inbox is full. You get to school. The demands are unlimited. Have you ever had one of these days where you got to the end of the day and you thought, man, I did so much, but what did I get done? And the reality is that the noise of our lives so often drowns out the voice of our Father. And because the voice of our Father is drowned out amidst the noise, we have no vision for how to live on mission with Jesus. And Jesus is showing these disciples, he says, listen, you will always live in a world full of unlimited needs, and your lives will always be very limited. But what if you took some time to escape the noise so you could hear the voice? I've been thinking about our church family, you know, 3,000 of us. And here's the truth. If we walk with Jesus closely this week, we will encounter needs that we will be unable to meet. It's just a promise, if you are following Jesus closely, you're gonna run into friends and family and coworkers and fellow students and people just out in the city. You're gonna run into the needs of people that your supply will not be able to meet their demand. We know that's gonna happen this week if you walk with Jesus. And so I just started wrestling with this this week, going, okay, what if we were ahead of the game? What if we were proactive and what if we said, Jesus, before our lives are bombarded with the noise of this world, What if we just decide we're going to escape the noise so we can hear your voice? We're going to carve out some time in our lives so that your voice can give us a vision for this day. It's the difference between living a life that is disciplined in the Lord and a life that is distracted by the world. And so many of us, we miss out on the joys of what God is doing because our lives are so distracted. So I want to challenge you with just one simple thing tonight. Just here's your piece of homework as we get ready to take communion, as we get ready to worship. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, I encourage you to try this. What would happen if you just decided for this week, the next seven days, you would give the first 30 minutes of your day to God? What if you just decided, God, no matter what, for seven days in a row, I'm just going to try this. Those of you that aren't followers of Jesus, just try it. If Jesus isn't real, you have nothing to lose. You can go back to your old ways eight days from now. But just imagine if if you said, God, I'm going to give you the first 30 minutes of my day. You do whatever you want. Give me your voice so that I can have your vision for the need that is ahead. Before the noise of my life hits me, direct me just as you directed Jesus so that I can have clarity when to stay, when to go, when to roll up my sleeves and when to take a break, when to help and when to move on. Jesus, I need your help because the world's needs are unlimited, but my life is very limited. I go, what if you decided to give him that 30 minutes? If you normally wake up at 6 a.m., wake up at 5.30. If you're in college and you wake up at noon, wake up at 11.30, you know, whatever it is. Say, God, I'm gonna give you a little more time. And I'm gonna open up my heart. I remember when I first started following Jesus, guys like me standing up in front of rooms like this saying things like, give the first part of your morning to Jesus just drove me crazy because I had no idea how to do it. And for a season of my life, there's this real tension because I had the desire to hear the voice of God in the midst of my mornings, but I did not have the discipline to actually do it. And some of you are wrestling with that. You have the desire, but you don't have the discipline. Or there'd be seasons in my life where I would make the time to be with the Lord, but I didn't have any tools for connecting with them. And so I'd wake up early, And then I would be there early, and now I'm just angry because it's early and I'm awake. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do? And so I would read Psalm 23, and I'd say a prayer. And then I'm like, what do I do with the next 29 minutes of my life? Have any of you ever felt this before? It's like, this is boring. Like, God, I don't know how to hear from you. I don't know what to do. And there's this tension in my life. Okay, God, I'm trying to give you my morning. What do I do? And so last night I was thinking about just kind of that tension. And I wrote a blog. I'd encourage you, if you don't know what to do with your morning um, go to ethoschurch.org. Last night on the blog, I put three just really simple practices that I use from time to time as I start my mornings with Jesus. And th- These aren't silver bullets. They're not fail-proof or foolproof. But it's a place to get started. It's a place to kind of unlock your imagination as you're trying to walk with Jesus for the first time. Or maybe some of you feel a little stuck, and you go, I don't know how to hear his voice anew. I encourage you to get online, ethoschurch.org, download one of those things, and just try it for seven days, and let's just see what happens. Because in a world full of unlimited needs, it is a big deal how we choose to use our very limited lives. And if you are setting your vision for your life without the voice of the Father, it it doesn't only have implications for you, it has implications for every hurting person that God is going to bring into your path. I believe something amazing would happen this week if we said, God, we'll escape the noise to hear your voice. I believe next week in our midst will be men and women that look nothing like us. And all of a sudden we'll begin seeing that when we're friends with Jesus, when we're hearing the voice of Jesus, Jesus' friends are at home here. Let's pray.